Simonson's going to come and share the word with us. Bill has been a missionary of Baptist and missions for I don't know how many years, many years, right? Um, I first met Bill uh, in 1999 when we were at uh, candidate school with Baptist Admissions, um, and I was very impressed with him back then. Mm. He was trans, uh, transferring from Campus Bible Fellowship to a new ministry in Boston, um, and he's going to share about that hopefully next week a little bit more, um, but um, I'm not going to go through your history. I'll let you share a little bit about yourself as you come up here, okay. uh, but we're happy to have you here to share the word with us. So Thank you. It's good to have you. Yeah, thank thank you. you. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Would you tell the truth? None of you had a grumpy morning or anything today? But don't answer that because we don't want you to. So am I on? Is this working right? It is? Okay. Well, I had all kinds of trouble with it. I'm thinking it's going to fall off pretty soon. So uh, try to do the best we can. So. Well, what to say, I uh, have uh, many things I'd like to just uh, touch on this morning. We'll be here the next couple of weeks, and as you can see in the uh, bulletin, we'll be talking about effective evangelistic ministry. Um, and uh, today, possibly evangelistic relationships. We'll see how it goes. That's the plan anyway. Uh, but I've been doing some thinking whether that's the first thing we should talk about or not. I heard from, uh, uh, do you call him Dr. Taylor or Dean Taylor? Yes. <laughs> yeah, he texted me this morning, said he's praying uh, for us. So that was nice to hear from him and appreciated that. And he'll be back in four weeks, I guess, right? And, the, you know, it's convenient that post is right in front of the <laughs> clock. But if I happen to look over, what time, am I, what time do you usually finish? Because you have Sunday school following this, correct? Uh, we, we usually try to get to Sunday school that the latest about 10 after 11, but you can take as much time as you want. So, so it's, uh, see what, it's a quarter till 10? Yeah. And you don't have Sunday school till a quarter after 11? Well, we'll, we'll do Sunday school whenever you get done. We'll take a few minutes to ourselves. Because I don't think... Relax, I won't be that, I won't. Uh, so what I do is I speak for a while, and, uh, and when, the, when the attention starts to lag, I know well enough that it's time to stop. So, but it won't be anything like that. I, I don't think that we pass 10, 10.30, I would think would be the latest that, that I would go. Is that okay? So, I mean, famous last words, don't hold me to that, but uh, I'm pretty sure that'll... But that allows me to say a few things of introduction. Um, I have spoken here before. I don't know that I spoke right here, however. This, when did this all change, the auditorium? Has it been like this forever? No. Well, this has been 25 years ago uh, when I was here. I think probably 25 years. Quarter of a century. That's a long time, isn't it? How many of you are younger than 25 yeah, <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> and <laughs> anybody remember Earl Dannenberg? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I was over in that side room, I think, a couple times uh, where we were at Wednesday night. <clears throat> I think twice, or maybe more. It's hard to remember. 
Um, I was uh, uh, then teaching at Faith, and <clears throat> Earl, uh, he actually asked me to, to consider becoming the pastor during that time. You may not have known that. I said, would you think about that? And uh, I said, no. <laughs> there was other things going on. But I've always, been fast, I've always been more than fascinated with the Northridge ministry. It, it, this ministry, and this is true, this is, uh, I, I hope I speak truth. Um, I don't want to be a, a, a person pleaser or anything like that. really don't want to do that. Um, maybe you need to do that when you're 25, but when you're 67, you no longer have to. So uh, just to say that this, this church of all the Iowa churches, maybe there's one other, has been intriguing to me, has been we have been interested. We have prayed for you. Haven't kept real close track, but, you know, uh, every once in a while checking in, see what's going on at Northridge. And the reason is uh, you're in Des Moines. And, um, and in Iowa, in my missional way of thinking, Des Moines is the most strategic place to minister to the world. And uh, even the neighborhood and... and and what's going on here? It's just been a fascinating place, and I've always been interested in, and and have been prayerful, not daily, but remembering the, the ministry here. You know, recently my wife and I, Deb. By the way, Deb, would you stand up? This is my wife, Deb, and I'm her husband, Bill. So we uh, came in and we went to Sheridan Street. Now you may not know anybody know where Sheridan Street is. Probably not as you do know. Well, when when the first years of my life, I lived on Sheridan Street, first two or three years, and I have not been back. I didn't, you know, I grew up in Urbandale, graduated from Urbandale High School, Deb uh, from Williamsburg High School, and I had never been back to Sheridan Street all those years, and I I looked it up. I actually had to uh, go on the Des Moines Register archives, and I knew I could because I remember an article where my father was in a boat in the Des Moines River that overturned. And in the article, they gave his address. I don't know why they did that, but they did. And I couldn't figure out the address, and I finally paid to get on the archives, Des Moines Archive, uh, Register Archives, and sure enough, there it was. And I have his address, and we went by. They've, it's a new home, a new house there, but it's about, I, don't, I can't remember, six minutes from here, seven minutes, something, very close. And then... Uh, Another interesting thing, just down the road, see if I have this right, yeah, just down and back, maybe four or five blocks and into that neighborhood. Uh, my best friend growing up, Steve Gunnell, lived there. Oh, there they are. I knew you were here somewhere. Okay, there it is. And uh, I prayed with him. My, you know, I was saved during my college years and was uh, wild and crazy and totally out of control till that time. Well, Steve remained totally out of control after I was saved. And, and I prayed with him. He's actually, I think, high on cocaine at the time. Uh, but he called me one night, and he said, Billy, I remember because I was speaking to the church in Perry. And he said, Billy, if you come by tonight, you'd be welcome. That, you know, it's, he always known me by Billy. And I said, okay, I'll be by. And I remember I had my suit on. I got down at Perry, and I came by, and I came in. And he said, Billy, he goes, uh, I'm tired of being guilty. Will you help me? And I said, well, you know, I can't help you, but the Lord can help you. And he got on his knees and received Christ just a few blocks in. And that, to me, kind of typifies the neighborhood. And, and so 
you know, the, the, the strategic nature, the human need. Uh, these are all things that are right here in your neighborhood. And that's why this is one of the, the, uh, the churches that, um, to me, is intriguing and strategic and potential, really is literally out of this world right here. So I'm glad to be here. I basically begged. I said, let me minister to you a little bit. Um, <laughs> I want to be able to speak there. Please let me do that. And so I'm glad to be here to do this for these next three weeks. I'll give you a little more background. Deb and I uh, just finished uh, uh, 23 years about uh, ministering in Boston. And our our goal, and we'll talk more about this next week, but we minister... Let's, uh, we ministered. We minister here in the United States in order to minister there, anywhere around the world. In our final place that we lived in uh, in uh, Boston, final place was was in the dead center of the city. By the way, just to make sure you understand, Boston is a much better place than New York, right? We are in agreement of that, are we, are we not? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, but we, we lived in a, in a studio, a very expensive studio. I won't even tell you how much it costs, but it, it, it was 311 square feet. If you have a garage, it's bigger than our studio was, I'm pretty sure. And yet, we, we lived right in the dead center. I mean, you couldn't be... It'd be hard to be more central in the city of Boston. Now, why is that important? Because it was the bullseye. I mean, it was, here's this global community, unlike probably anywhere in the world, probably anywhere in the world, uh, where on any given day, you walk out your door and you can touch any part of the world. And for me, this is just this side of heaven. I mean, it really is. And of course, now you're getting the theme the city is a very important place. Uh, I think God has prepared the city uh, so that we could obey him in the matter of the Great Commission. Uh, and so, but we came home, we needed to come back because uh, God's word is clear. We have parents in Williamsburg who um, uh, need help. And uh, they're in their 90s, and there, there wasn't anybody there close to be there with them. And we recognized our responsibility from the Word of God, that it's our responsibility to care for them. And so that's why we're back here, and that's why it's nice to be down here and have the opportunity to speak. This thing is just killing me. Does this work? No, that's, I, th I think I got it. You can put that there, and I'll try it if it, if it doesn't. But I just had a squeeze in my ear. I have a cauliflower here on this side from wrestling, and I was about ready to develop one over here because I had it pinched so tight. All right. So that's where we're at. I've gotten to know some of you before the service, and, I'm, and I appreciate that. Let me just tell you some of the themes that... I just listed some themes that uh, I think about a lot in, in the area of evangelism. And let me just share seven of those with you. Uh, it, the first one is the biblical narrative, the priority of reconciliation. And, and I think, and we'll, we'll at least talk about that today. I, I hope to cover these seven things in the next three weeks. Probably won't get it done, but we'll try. 
then number two, the evangelistic relationship, uh, the context of evangelism. Now, if I say, start talking about any one of these, I'll spend the rest of my time talking on it. So I kind of just want to go through them. But, but, the, but I will say the first one, the biblical narrative, the question is, which we'll come back to, is what is the central theme of the Bible? And I need to move on. The evangelistic relationship, the evangelistic relationship, the context of evangelism has to do with what, is the, what, is, what has to be true foundationally to be effective at helping people become Christians. What is the context in which a person will receive Christ? And I call it the evangelistic relationship. What does that look like? Number three, the good news. That is the, the evangelistic message. Dr. Tillotson spoke at the Refresh Conference, the last message, and he said something that I absolutely agree with, and which I've also observed. And that is that we're very good. You hear a lot about discipleship, and, I, and, I, and that's a good thing. But you hear very little anymore, at least I hear very little about actually how to reach people with the gospel, how to be effective at that. We all believe in it, but what does it really look like to do it? Very few are effective at this. This is our domain. This is where Deb and I live our life, is in the area of reaching people with the gospel. And it's not a shallow thing. It, it takes a lot of depth to be effective at ministering the gospel to people. A lot of changes. Uh, we, we elected this week. Did, did any of you go to the marriage council, the marriage conference retreat? Anybody go to that here? Nobody did? Well, we were signed up to go, and we opted out. We had a week of refresh conference. That's enough for me for a year. One, it's not that I don't believe in Christian fellowship. I absolutely do. The Word of God is clear that we need to have fellowship and strengthen one another. But we really, we really preferred Saturday when that was going on. We were at, at an international food store in Iowa City just having the time of our life. The, the, the smell of spices and, and see the people. It was a uh, uh, run by Arabic people, Muslims advertising their seminary on the, on the door. It was great, wonderful time. Uh, we are geared to minister the gospel to people. That's what we do. And at the very center of that is the good news, the evangelistic message. If we don't know what it is a person needs to know in order to be saved, what is it? What is the actual message that we share? And what is the proper, what is the response that we're looking for so, so that we know that, the, that uh, this person has passed from death to life? What is that? Uh, and you don't read any more much about that. It needs to be clarified, and we'll do that. And then there's the, the number four, the evangelistic process, which is the way we go about evangelistic Bible studies. It has its own science to it. There's a way, there's a method, there's an approach, there's a reason for the way you enter into this. Let me just tease you a little bit with this. 
Years ago, we, just, we were just finishing our deputation ministry in uh, New Jersey. We were living in a missionary home in New Jersey. We had a little bit of support to raise, then we'd be off to Boston. And I had been on a long trip, got back, got into my easy chair. You guys all have a chair that you like to rest in when you get home? You know, I've learned on deputation, never sit in a chair if you want support. <laughs> that, that's the chair. That's, you don't sit there. And, and I had found my, I got home, and I was in my chair, I was finally resting, and, and, I, and I watched a guy walking up the door. And I go, oh, he's going to bother me. <laughs> Very charitable response. And, um, and so sure enough, he knocked at the door, and I came to the door, and I said, what do you want? <laughs> I, every moment of mine is not a good moment. Okay? Uh, I'm a much, very much a human being and uh, had to fight sin in my life. And he said, are you the pastor? And I could tell that he was a person who wanted something. He wanted the... He, he needed me to give him something. And I said, no. <laughs> I was glad to say no. I said, he lives over there. And he says, maybe you could help me. Oh, great. We go, and then he, ta- he said, I just got out of the hospital, and, and, and I need help. In fact, I looked down, he had one shoe on. He'd had a stroke in the hospital, and he couldn't put his shoes on. And uh, at some point, God beat me up enough that I realized that I had an assignment from God. <laughs> it may be inconvenient, but it was my assignment from him. And we ended up caring for him, uh, my, my son and I, and helped him in his place and did some things for him. Remember that, Deb? And, but I think it illustrates something. You walk up to, you, when you th- think about the gospel relationship, the evangelistic process, uh, we, we, we tend to think that we can walk up to somebody's door with maybe a survey or a gospel track, knock on their door, and that they'll listen to us. And, and I really have come to think that it's the most bizarre thing to actually think that that would happen. And remember, we spend our life re- trying to reach people with the gospel. This is what we do. I mean, why would a person who does not know me well. Listen to me tell them that they're a horrible sinner deserving hell. Why would they do that? Unless I'd earned the right to do that. And so the evangelistic process, the evangelistic Bible study, is an important subject to talk about it in evangelistic ministry. And then you have the the gospel-centered church. Organizing the church program or organized, the gospel-centered church organized for effective evangelism. Again, a little teaser. I don't believe in dumbing down the church so that people feel at home there. I just think that's the exact opposite approach. It's not what the Bible teaches. Bible teaches, as we'll see, that you do just the opposite. That, that it's the depth of message. It's the depth of your relationship one with another. The depth of your feelings for one another that will help you actually draw people to Christ as they come to church. In, in our little church in Boston, 
oftentimes over half the group would be not yet believers. And you might think, well, you must have really had some kind of a worship celebration or something. The one thing I am not is musical. I have not a clue. My one request is make sure this is on during the song service so we don't drive everybody out. That's my one thing I know about music. You dare not hear me when I sing. But uh, our music and our church was designed to minister. We, it, it tended to be, it, it tended to be more chorus-like, but it was with depth, and it was with the explanation that if you have questions, ask them about the music. And then there was the then after well, actually before that was our time of prayer. We weren't user-friendly because we would pray for 30 to 45 minutes. We'd just get prayer requests. What's going on in your life this week? And we'd pray, we'd pray up to you know, 30 to 45 minutes and open our service. Then we had our song ministry. Then we taught the Word of God and uh, taught the Word of God with depth. There's a certain way of going about that in that kind of a congregation, but it was with depth. And, often, and then we had lunch after the service every Sunday. Now, you know, this goes till about 35, and then you, it's unmanageable to do that every Sunday, but Deb would cook lunch, and we'd have lunch together as a church family and with our new people that would come. It was a message of depth, a time of prayer, really sharing the real needs of our, our congregation, the real needs. My husband's leaving me this week. I don't know what to do. Well, we'd better pray about that. Um, and oftentimes after the service, oftentimes, uh, regularly almost, someone would say, well, boy, a, a not yet believer would say, my heart was warmed, and I don't know why. And that would become a Bible study, which would sometimes become a Christian, then a baptized Christian, then a disciple. And so the gospel-centered church organized for effective, effective evangelism. How do you Go about that. What are the things you need to look at? And then Philip the Evangelist. I love the story of Philip the Evangelist. I see the characteristics of myself in that. And this is kind of a specific thing. Maybe we won't talk as much about this, but there may be some here who are made like Philip the Evangelist. You are geared to be in strange places. Some desert place with this Ethiopian dude meeting them where they're at, sharing the gospel. Not every, that's not for everybody, but there are some who may be geared to not have to be with Christian community all the time, although they love Christian community, but desire to be out there and desire to make the gospel clear. And then finally, the globalized opportunity, which we'll talk about next week along with the ministry that we're doing. All right, those are just... This is subjects. Deb says it should be a book. Um... Someday, we'll see what the Lord does with that. But uh, I think these are all key to having a good evangelistic ministry. And let me just say this as we look at Genesis chapter 1 now. Uh, you, this church family, located where you're at, can be... Now, I need to step back. I don't... I followed you. I know there's been good times. There's been tough times. To what degree, I don't know. All right. I don't know a lot about you, so I'm not 
if, if I say something that stings or feels really good, it's not because I know. It's because the Holy Spirit did that, all right? But I can tell you this. I know for sure. I can give you a guarantee that you can be effective in, in Des Moines, Iowa, in reaching the world. I, I have no doubt about it. I'm sure from what, what the, I see in the community and what you believe theologically that you can, if you're willing, to discipline yourself to that point, become a global powerhouse for the Great Commission. You can actually do that. It's just a matter of, of will and change, whatever that would look like. I, I said something similar years ago to a, a wrestling team. It was a Dickinson Middle School wrestling team in uh, South Bend, Indiana. If you were a wrestler in, in South Bend and you were in the middle school, you begged God that you could wrestle Dickinson because they were horrible. I mean, this, this was a fun match. But Indiana is not like Iowa. Iowa, you know, so, so brother, you asked whether anybody's interested in Super Bowl. Oh, it's okay. But when it comes to wrestling, you ought to be really captivated this time of year. Uh, I mean, Iowa is a wrestling just phenom. This, this, the whole state is like that. And, and I, my whole, before I was saved, my life, my idol was the sport of wrestling. And I know how to wrestle to this day. I, when I watch a match, if it's on TV, Deb has to pull me by the back of my pants and sit down. I can't see the match because I'm up there, oh, scoot, scoot, you know, up, up, and on it goes. So when I went to Indiana, I had a good background. I understood wrestling. And I became, as I was pastoring there, the middle school wrestling coach of Dickinson High or Dickinson Middle School. And I taught them a takedown. I taught them how to hold their body, how to have the correct balance at all times, what not ever to do, how to escape and how to ride and how to pen. Just one thing for each thing. Not elaborate, but the basics of wrestling. And I said the first day of the week, first day of practice, I, I gave two rules. First rule is moms can't come to practice. And the second rule was you have to do what I say in practice. It's a middle school, inner city school, and everybody is totally out of control. And I thought, we may end up with two wrestlers, but they're going to do what I say because I can't take the, the mayhem that happens here. And they did that. And, it, and, it came, and I said the first day to Casey Marks, I said, Casey, you'll be a city champion this year. And I said that because I knew Casey from baseball, that he was a hard worker, he's a Christian young man. And I had confidence that I knew more than the other coaches, having come from Iowa. Um, and it's true. I mean, I did know more because I had the benefit of wrestling all these years here. The first dual meet, the team was giddy that, that came to wrestle us. They were going to wipe us out. And instead, I think they won one match. It was glorious. I think the other coach retired after that match. I'm not sure. 
But Casey lost his match, the one who's going to be the city champion. And he lost his second and his third match. He kept getting pinned. I promised him he'd be the city champion, and I couldn't. Fi- Finally, I found out that Casey's problem was that he had this asthma condition, and when he got underneath somebody, he would panic, and he was afraid he was going to have an attack, so he let them pin him. So me, being the compassionate guy that I am, at practice, said, Casey, come here, lay on your back. Seth, who's the next weight up, best wrestler in the room, get on him. And I said, Casey, until you get off your back, you're going to be on your back, and it doesn't matter what you do. If you cry, carry on, your mom's not here. Now, I had the, he had this pencil, this thing that you jab a sigh if he had an attack, and I had that with me. I was a little scared myself. I thought, man, I don't, if I have to use this thing, it's not going to be good. Casey's there. He's crying. He's trying to get I say, here's how you do it. I taught him. Put your arm underneath here. Scoot, 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 and there you go. You're off your back. Took him about five minutes. I think the guy on top finally let him get off his back. I think he felt bad for him. But Casey then learned to get off his back. He started winning. He started winning consistently. Finally, it came to the city tournament, and you had this time where you're, you're, uh, you have to, the seeding thing where you decide who gets to be the first seed and who has the best chance to the, the finals. And, and, and I'm arguing. Remember, I'm the pastor in the area, and I am losing it. Because they wouldn't give him a, they, they kept saying, no, no, Casey, no, no, no. Finally, Casey is the seated eighth out of eight guys. He's the last guy. He wrestles the best guy the first round. And uh, so I, I was just beside myself. The day of the meet, the day of the tournament, nobody's there. Casey's there. I said, Casey, come on, I want you to walk out with me. We walked out to the middle of the mat. And I said, Casey, do you ever pray before you wrestle? (laughs) And he says, no. He's a Christian young man. I said, now would be a good time. And and I said, don't pray that you win. Pray that you will honor God, that when you get done with this match, you know you've done everything you could to win this match, and that you honor God by how hard you work today. He said, okay. And he prayed. That first match was like a... You know, in middle school wrestling, there's, I think, 15 or 20 weight classes, and there's, there's eight teams, and it goes all day. This is the first match of the day. He was a light guy, and they went out there. I screamed and yelled for six minutes. By the end of the match, I was exhausted. Casey, had won, Casey took the guy down, this little athlete, took him down, beat him up the whole match. I think it was like 8 to 1, 10 to 1. The match is over. Casey won. I'm just ecstatic. He goes on to win the city. The day is over. I'm absolutely exhausted. His mother comes up to me. She goes, I don't know why you're so excited. After all, you said the first day of the year he'd win the city championship. That's what I remember. He won the city championship. And this is the point. I knew he could win the city championship because I knew the parameters. I knew that he was a conscientious kid that would work hard. And I knew that I knew enough to help him get there. I knew that he could do this. I knew it. And in fact, it happened. And that's what I know about Northridge Church in Des Moines. I know what the parameters are here. I know what the belief system is here. I know what the need is here. I know what some of the struggles are. 
And I know who God is and what he will do with the servant of the Lord, with the church of the Lord, which will give themselves to do the Lord's will in a community. That I know. So it's not just rhetoric. It's not just sermonic or pie in the sky, however you want to put it, to say you can be a global powerhouse for Great Commission ministry. You can be. Somebody may have to put you under the best wrestler. (laughs) God may have to discipline us to get us there. But you can do that. Now let me ask you a question. Let's go to, we're in Genesis chapter 1, and there's these key verses, which I think is key to everything. It really is is the foundation of my theology, of my practice, of ministry. Uh, it's, and I think not understood clearly enough or applied consistently enough are the truths in verses chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. And let's just read. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth earth. So notice in verse 26 of Genesis 1, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish, over the cattle. And verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. When you read, when you read that along with me, and when you think about that passage, and God telling us that, telling humanity how they're going to be made, what sticks out to you? I mean, I mean the question is, why create to begin with, oh God? This is a question you can ask. I, I am used to teaching small groups, and particularly with mainland Chinese, and, and you learn very quickly when you teach mainland Chinese that you have to ask questions because they'll go like this. My friends will go, yes, yes. It means they're encouraging you and you think, oh man, I'm just killing it. They understand we're doing well until you ask a question and then you find they don't have the foggiest notion what you're talking about. They're just being nice. And so I learned that you have to ask questions. Philip the Evangelist says, what are you reading? So when you read that passage, stick with me. What, what sticks out to you in verse 26 through 28? Okay? You can just speak up. We're created in the image of God. You all see that? Key to understanding Scripture is that we're created in the image of God. 
Now, what does that image consist of? Now, this could go on for a semester of coursework, what it means to be the image of God, but I think in the text itself, it gives two really, clo- two really clear examples or points where we will resemble God. Can you name one of them? And you ought to speak real loud because I can't hear well in the best of days. Dominion. Dominion, and I would say that's number two. And you may ask yourself, how does that work its way out in the New Testament? Because I think it's a great, I mean, it's clear we can't have perfect dominion now because what? Because of the fall, we can't have perfect dominion, but there is a way in which we exercise that. By the way, the fact that you want to win a wrestling match is an indication you're made in the image of God to have dominion. I believe it is, and many other things. But there's one that's before that, and, and, I, and I know that theologians have argued about this, and they've, they've said, but I think it's real clear, let us... Make man in our image according to our likeness. Do you notice with me that he uses that personal pronoun three times, speaking within the Trinity? Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. He's speaking within the Trinity. Remember, the Trinity through all eternity has always been there. There's been perfect relationship in, uh, throughout, creation, throughout eternity. And then one day in eternity, God says, okay, we're going to now share this image with mankind. And what is image? What is it? The relational image of Father and Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, you three, you see all three of those personages throughout the early chapters of Genesis. You see the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And we're not going to go into that, but simply to say that when he says, let us make man in our image, he is referring to himself and the fact that he'll make us into relational beings. Let us make man in our image. And then he includes the human race in that equation. So now we can have a relationship with Almighty God. And this becomes foundational to all of Scripture. Now, can, can, I, can I ask you, how is that foundational? Why is that foundational? Um, just think with me. This, I, I don't know that there could be a more important point to be made overall theologically, but especially in the area of of uh, evangelistic ministry, which is our topic today. Why is that so important? You go two chapters later, and we find out that God is walking in the garden on a regular basis with the human race, with Adam and Eve. He is sharing that relationship that he has within the Trinity now with them. There's communion, there's fellowship. And he's given them the option of continuing that fellowship or saying, no, we won't do that. He made man in his image to have perfect relationship, but in fact, Adam and Eve say, no, we're not going to do it that way. 
we're going to go our own way, and we're going to sin against you, we're going to disobey you, and that relationship was broken. And all the history of the Bible, past history, present history, future history, which the Bible presents through all the pages of Scripture, starting with Genesis uh, through the New Testament, culminating in the book of Revelation, is all about how God is going to fix what happened in the garden, is it not? God is working to draw that relationship back to what it was before the fall. Why? Because he said, let us make man in our image. Let me ask you, do you have a favorite book, novel that you like to read? What is it? It's hard to pick one. Hard to pick. Well, pick one. Now, I like anything from really intricate theology to Louis L'Amour. Okay. You know who that is? Louis L'Amour? He writes novels. He, he's dead now, but he wrote uh, Western novels. <laughs> okay. You know, they're great. Sackett, wonderful. Sackett Brand, all those series. Dark, Darth Bane, it's a Star Wars book. Darth Bane, Star Wars. Okay. What holds Star Wars series together? Yeah, join in with me, folks. Huh? What is the main theme of Star Wars? Money? Money? <laughs> what? I, I like that Money? Really? Or power? All right, there's, there, <laughs> there's this conflict going on, and, and uh, you understand the, all the different pieces in somehow in relationship to the central theme. It may be barely related, but it's still related, and you understand the series. When you mention that series, I thought, oh, yeah, that's the story about blah, 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 blah. Okay. Uh, I asked this in Kurdistan a little while ago. <laughs> It's a good contrast. They're tell I asked it in Kurdistan, it's northern Iraq, and um, I asked them, what is your favorite novel? And they started with these, like, Solinsiakov, Sol and I mean, all these really deep uh, Eastern European novels that were written. And I couldn't have, I had no idea. I, I'd heard the title, but that was it. I mean, it was above my depth. But I asked them the same question, what's the central theme? And they started going off about, and I had to stop. I said, good enough, fine. The point is there's a central theme, and that's how you understand the whole story. And our point today is there's a central theme. It's our relationship with God, and it's been broken. Okay. And God is working to fix that. That's the story of the Bible. Now, some people say the central theme or the, the main way to understand the Bible is the glory of God. I'm going, I don't think so. I think that's the air the Bible breathes. It's the background. God's going to be glorified, period. He says that. It doesn't matter. He'll be glorified in the end. It's, it, it is the foundation, maybe, but not the central theme. The central theme is God's desire to reconcile men to himself. We go other, over other 
ideas, but I think that it's clearly this. So just two points as we, we start this series of three weeks on these things. If that's the central theme, then what should our central theme be? You understand what I'm saying? It really gets no more foundational than this, and if we get this, everything else falls into place. So, well, let's just stop. If we agree that the central theme of the Bible, that the storyline is God drawing people back to himself, he'll do anything to accomplish that, including the death of his son. Then what ought to be the central theme of our life and of our church life? Churches have lots of, you know, if, you, if you're out there speaking very often, you'll find out that every church has its idea of what they're about. But if it's not about reaching the not yet believer and drawing them to God, we've made a mistake. We've, we've erred from the central theme. Are there other themes? Yes. But in somehow they are related to the central theme. They all go together. Now, the second part of that then, as we start these three weeks. First of all, our central theme ought to be reconciling, helping, becoming a reconciler of men. Church is here to represent Christ, to draw people back to him. And, and you, are in this very, you are in the most strategic community in Iowa. And not only that, do you know across the Midwest, there's not a community across the Midwest to either coast, actually the second in the nation as far as per capita growth of the immigrant community is Des Moines, Iowa. Second in the country. First, uh, you know, inside the coast. This is it. God has placed you here to be a reconciler. That's how important it is. But then the second part is, Second main thing here is, if that be the case, how do I go about it? Let us make man in our image. In the Trinity, perfect relationship, love relationship, commitment, all through eternity into the future. And now God has brought us into that. And the way that we reach people is not by, first of all, going to their door. I've not gone to one door and knocked on it in Boston, Massachusetts. Now, I'm not a guess it. Don't misunderstand it. I just don't think it's key. But what is key is that, I, that like the Trinity, I build good relationships. I show individuals that they're important, that they're made in the image of God, and God deeply cares for them. And and by my relationship with them, they know that I value them as a human being and that I care for them as a human being. I think the first part of a gospel witness is the relationship I build with a person. That takes time. Folks, you know, we're sharing about school, how busy you get. and I, I quit going to seminary. I, I don't, I don't think you should do this. Don't misunderstand. But I quit because somebody said to me at work, they were surprised I was a Christian. 
Why? I, I was three quarters dead all the time I was at work. I was exhausted. I had no joy. I had nothing left to offer them. And I realized, well, I'm not really accomplishing my purpose if I'm like this all the time. My relationships were bad. And when the first part of the gospel, I believe the first part, is that not yet believer knowing that I think they're valuable, that I love them, that I'm committed to their life, and that I'm not really going to be able to share with their sinful part of their life. I'm sure you've got many, a lot of sin going on there, right? Yeah. You're probably not going to let me talk about that until you know I care about that, until I care about you as a human being. Now, folks, I'm going to quit now. I just want to say this takes all of your being. It took all of Christ. He's our example. He held nothing back. And if we think we can somehow just minister the gospel to people by kind of lobbing the gospel grenade out there, it won't happen. You can be successful. You can become a global powerhouse for the gospel. Global. People you reach will have global influence. But we'll have to agree that the center part of the Bible is God's desire to reconcile people. And the first way we do that is by sacrificially loving people. Thank you, Father, for this time. Help us to be your servant in this. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.